Would you pray with me? Almighty God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts and minds be acceptable to you, our rock and redeemer. Amen. Faithfully following Christ with open hearts and minds. It's interesting how habits can sometimes be integrated into our lives, <clears throat> excuse me, without fully understanding why we do them. For example, I heard a story of a family who had a favorite meatloaf recipe that was passed down for several generations. Everyone loved it, so nobody dared modify that recipe in any way. One of the more peculiar steps of this recipe was to cut the meatloaf in half before placing it in the oven. Some claimed that it allowed the meatloaf to bake more evenly, and some thought it prevented it from being too soggy. But nobody knew exactly why this step was required, but they always did it. One day at a family, big family gathering, some of the cooks were preparing the meatloaf for dinner when the great-grandmother, the matriarch of the family, stepped into the kitchen to see how the cooking was going. She noticed that they were cutting the meatloaf before placing it into the oven. So she asked them, why are you doing that? Thinking that she had simply forgotten the recipe since she had created it so long ago, they explained that this was one of those crucial steps that everybody carefully and dutifully followed so it would come out just right. She gracefully informed them that cutting the meatloaf was really unnecessary. She went on to describe how she and her husband, their late great-grandfather, struggled financially in the early days of their marriage. So the only way that they could, the only kind of oven they could afford was a very small compact model that the full meatloaf could not fit into. So the only reason that she cut the meatloaf was so that she could fit it into the oven. Sorry, my kids. Yes, I wonder what they're doing. I'll have to ask them about this. This kind of misunderstanding is common in many homes and businesses and even in houses of worship. Routines, processes, and traditions are sometimes followed without a clear understanding of the reasons behind them. In today's passage, we see there's a sense that God was preparing Peter for a big realization about this kind of issue as he was meditating on the top of Simon the Tanner's roof. As Peter was meditating, he had a vision of something like a large sheep being lowered to the ground with all kinds of animals on it. Then a voice came to him saying, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But many of the animals that he saw in this vision would not be appropriate for him to eat according to Jewish law. So he replied, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. Then the voice responded, What God has made clean, you must not call profane. This scene took place three times in a row, giving Peter a sense of the surety that there was an important message in this vision. 
Doubt and questions started to enter his mind as he tried to understand the meaning of this vision, something that he considered profane or unclean that was actually not profane, according to God. Perhaps Peter looked back or thought back to a lesson that Jesus had given much earlier. It was recorded in chapter 15 of the Gospel of Matthew or chapter 7 in the Gospel of Mark. The Pharisees and scribes complained to Jesus that his disciples weren't washing their hands before eating, which was a requirement according to Jewish tradition. Jesus replied with the question, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? He then gave them the example of a Jewish tradition where support normally given to parents in their later years was given to God through the religious community instead, thereby encouraging children to break the commandment to honor their mother and father. Jesus then referred to a passage in chapter 29 of the prophet Isaiah saying, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrine. Then Jesus called the crowd together and said to them, Listen and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but it is what comes out of the mouth that defiles. When asked by his disciples to explain this further, Jesus replied, Do you not see that whatever goes into a person's mouth from outside cannot defile, since it enters not the heart, but the stomach, and then goes out into the sewer? Thus he declared all foods clean. And then he said, It is what comes out of a person that defiles. For it is from within, from the human heart, that evil intentions come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, avarice, wickedness, deceit, debauchery, envy, slander, pride, folly. All these evil things come from within. And they defile a person. Jesus had taught that the customs and rituals associated with proper eating habits were not nearly as important as having a heart that was attuned to the intentions of God. As Peter was trying to put all these messages together in his mind, three men who had been sent from the Roman centurion Cornelius arrived asking for Simon Peter. The men who summoned Peter told him that Cornelius was a righteous man who was respected by all the Jews in his community and was directed by an angel to find out what Peter had to say. Cornelius didn't know what to expect, but he sent emissaries on a journey to find that mysterious holy man, Peter, in the hopes of discovering what the angel wanted him to learn. Feeling urged by the Holy Spirit, Peter left with them and went to visit the house of Cornelius in Caesarea, along with six of the faithful Jewish followers of Christ. Peter also didn't know what to expect, but he felt compelled by the Spirit to meet with this Gentile leader and discover the new teaching that he was being led to discover. Both Cornelius and Peter knew that they were on a journey of discovery, but they had no idea 
what they were going to discover. They were both set up by the Holy Spirit with open hearts and minds to make significant start steps towards finding the heart of Christ. Yet they were coming from very different places in life. When Peter arrived at Cornelius's home, the two men met and began to try to understand what they were supposed to learn from each other. Cornelius, thinking that Peter was some kind of divine, divine being, fell to the ground in a posture of worship. But Peter told him to get up, saying, I'm only a mortal. When Peter saw that all of Cornelius's friends and family had gathered for this meeting, he said to them, you yourselves know that it is improper for a Jew to associate with or visit an outsider. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. Now, may I ask, why you sent for me? Peter had figured out one part of the lesson. Nobody should be called profane or unclean. But he still didn't know what he was supposed to do. Cornelius replied with a recounting of his experience of being visited by an angel who told him simply to hear what Peter had to say. Now Peter was beginning to get a clearer picture of what was going on. Peter exclaims to those present, I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every person, anyone who fears him and practices righteousness is acceptable to him. Peter was discovering that he was being led to, be, to go beyond simply refraining from considering other people profane or unclean. And he was to treat them with the same kindness and compassion that he had for his fellow Jews, sharing the gospel message of Christ so that they may also find salvation. As Peter began to share the message of Christ, the Holy Spirit fell upon all in Cornelius' household who heard this word. And they responded in the same manner as those who were present on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem speaking in tongues and praising God. When Peter saw this, he realized that God was being revealed just as much to the Gentiles as to his fellow Jews. So he had them baptized and stayed with them for several days. This anointing of the Holy Spirit on Cornelius and his household was so similar to that earlier event in Jerusalem that some have called it the Gentile Pentecost. The lessons for Cornelius and Peter have finally become clear. Cornelius was given the gospel message along with the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Peter learned that the revelation of Jesus Christ was for not only the Jews, but for all people. When Peter returned to Jerusalem, the Jewish followers of Christ criticized him for associating with Gentiles and eating with them. Of course, they had the same perspective that Peter had before his experience with Cornelius about unclean and profane people who were not Jews. Their tradition and culture taught them that people who were different from them, the Gentiles, 
were unworthy of the same kind of relationship with God that they could have. But after Peter described his experience with Cornelius and his household, he challenged this way of thinking. He reminded them of Jesus' teaching about baptism when he said, John baptized with you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then he concluded, Peter concluded, if then God, who gave the same gift that he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could hinder God? This statement silenced the other Jews and completely changed the tone in the room. They then praised God for giving the Gentiles the same repentance that leads to life that they had received. For me, this story encourages a great degree of humility. Peter, one of the most devout and gifted followers of Jesus, is shown to have a significant misunderstanding of the intentions of Christ. He fervently followed the rules and traditions of his time, only to learn that some of them were misguided. It makes me wonder where I am being misguided by our cultural norms and traditions. One of them of misguided human precepts which we teach as doctrine that are actually counterproductive to the work of the Holy Spirit. Of course, some things, some things I accept as foundational, such as the fact that Jesus Christ was crucified, dead, and was buried on the third day, rose from the dead. We receive the gifts of grace and salvation from this experience that he endured. And we can fully trust that he is with us in this life while also preparing a place for us with him in eternity. I also trust his teachings and guidance that all the law and the prophets are the foundational premise. They lie on the foundation to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and to love your neighbor as yourself. It is my hope that we can sift through these important spiritual truths from the cultural norms that can sometimes be harmful to others so that we can all move closer to the heart of Christ. I encourage you today to reflect with open hearts and minds on the lessons from scripture, tradition, reason, and experience and be willing to reconsider those teachings that have caused harm. Through faith, grace, and salvation, we can all make our way along the road that leads to a fulfilling life with Christ.